Hear the word of the Lord from Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went throughout the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to all the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. This is the defining moment in the book of Joshua. For generations, the Israelite people have looked to this moment and anticipated this moment and wondered when they would finally enter the promised land. One of the things you see in this passage is that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned more than anything else. It's mentioned 10 times. And there's this tension of they have to follow the Ark because it's the presence of God. It's their only hope to get to the promised land, but they also have to stay away from the Ark because it's perilous. The presence of God was powerful. And Joshua makes this statement that changes the whole passage. He says, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God's going to do amazing things among you. Well, everybody who was there would have known that that phrase, consecrate yourselves, was the same thing that Moses said to the previous generation before they hit Mount Sinai. God tells his people to consecrate themselves before a significant encounter with the Lord. So the energy of this story is building and building and building. And if it couldn't get any more, God says to Joshua, I'm going to exalt you today. The story doesn't decrease in excitement after the death of Moses, the great prophet. It's increasing. So this miracle happens So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks during the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away, as at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over Jericho. There's this great miracle that happens, and you and I, as we read this, should think, wait a second, this has happened before. There was another time when God's people had to get somewhere, but a body of water blocked their way. It was at the Red Sea. So this passage is calling to mind a previous generation But it's also calling to mind a future generation because in this passage, God asks Joshua to step into the Jordan to send 12 men in and pick up stones so that the next generation would remember. So what I'm telling you is this passage is not about the people who are present. It's about the previous generation and the future generation. It's about the bigger picture of Israel. 
So this morning, I would like to invite you to step in with me to the story of the generations of Israel. Before that generation that was at the Jordan, there was a different generation. And I would call this generation uh, the Egypt generation. The reason is because they were born in Egypt, okay? Now let me make this clear. This is not the generation that lived when the patriarch Joseph was alive. This is not Israel in Egypt when there are honored and free people. This is Israel in bondage. This generation is a people that have never known anything but agony and misery. If I had an object to represent the Egypt generation to you, it would be the object of chains. This is what they've known. They grew up as slaves. They're going to die slaves. And one of the things you see from the Egypt generation is that when you are in bondage, it creates a progression in your life. Slavery creates a lifestyle of fear. And fear prevents you from stepping into the miraculous. This generation, again and again, is brought by God to the edge of the miraculous. He's inviting them to cross the Red Sea. He wants to give them manna in the wilderness. He wants to give them water from the rock. And every time they come right to this point, they shrink back. Why? Because even though they left their bondage, their bondage is still inside them. Slavery creates a lifestyle of fear. You can say that two different ways. Slavery creates fear. Fear poisons the miraculous. The question the Egypt generation asked is, does God hear us? Does God hear us? Does he still remember the promises he made to our forefathers to take us out of this land? There's a man who grew up during the Great Depression in the 1930s. As this man grew older, he lived obviously beyond the Depression, came into his 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. One day this man winds up living in a nursing home. And this man had this very unique habit. He would go to lunch every day and get this large plate of food and only eat a few bites. And then he would take that plate that's still full and instead of throwing it out, he would take it back to his room and set that plate on the shelf. He wouldn't eat any of it the rest of the day. He would just look at it. This happened day after day after day. One day, one of his roommates says, why do you do that? Why do you get this full plate and then not eat anything on it? The lifestyle of fear he lived in in the Great Depression created a mentality of scarcity. So just the sight of knowing there was food present brought him comfort. This generation operated out of mentality of scarcity instead of the abundance God was calling them to. There's another generation. This is the generation that was alive in the passage I just read you. If that's the Egypt generation that was born in Egypt, I would call this generation the wilderness generation because that generation died in the desert. Remember, God was not pleased with them. They had to wander. Well, their kids 
lived most of their life in the wilderness. And if I had to give an object for this generation to be the object of sandals, because the Bible says that this generation walked in the same pair of physical sandals the whole 40 years in the wilderness and they didn't wear out. If that generation asked the question, does God hear me? This generation is asking, is God faithful? All they knew was waiting, wandering. There was no abundance. There was no blessing. None of the things their parents said would come. Waiting, waiting, waiting. But after the Egypt generation, and the wilderness generation, their group a very different generation. And this generation was marked by a blindness. This generation is the promised land generation. This generation never knew bondage. They never knew wandering. They were never forced to go through the desert. They never knew Egypt. They grew up in blessing, not bondage, in wealth, not waiting. And because they never knew that, they never had a vision of who God was. Those two generations had a defining miracle, the parting of the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan. This generation never had one. So the book of Judges said when the, book, when the promised land generation grew up, they did not know Yahweh nor what he had done for Israel. They were blind. They were so blind because they forgot God's past faithfulness. They had no vision for their future or present. The promised land generation was completely different than those two generations. They forgot. Egypt generation, wilderness generation, promised land generation, each completely different. Why is our attention being drawn to these three through this passage? These two each had the defining miracle. When God parted the Red Sea, this is what he said. Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. That was the reaction of the Egypt generation to the miracle. This generation, the Bible says, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is mighty and you might fear the Lord forever. Some of us are living in the Egypt generation. And your chains are not physical bondage, it's sin. And as we start the second half of the semester today, could it be that some of you gave some of these chains to the Lord in summit? But today the question is, are they still off? For some of us, we've dealt with sin, but we've not dealt with the spirit of fear that entered through the door of our sin, and that's the problem. God is inviting us to jump off, to step into the miraculous. God is doing a great work on this school, you guys. Right now, today, the work of the Lord is not just in the past. It is here. It is now. But if you are in this, if there's fear in your life, you're not ready to step into that. Because fear poisons the miraculous. 
And if this is you, I believe with all my heart, God is calling you to the same thing he called these two generations to, to fear him. The great miracle of the fear of the Lord is you cannot fear God and fear people and fear the enemy at the same time. Praise God. Some of you are walking in that though. That's not your problem, it's here. There's nothing wrong in your life right now. It's the fact that you're in a season of waiting. It's that you began the semester waiting for an answer from God and you're still waiting for the answer from God. And if that's you, I believe with all my heart, the word of the Lord to you is he sees you. He sees you. The question this generation asks is probably the same question you're asking. God, are you faithful? You promised me this at summit. You promised me this early in the year. Are you gonna deliver? He's faithful. He is so faithful. Their sandals did not wear out until they reached the promised land. At a board meeting earlier in the year where I was so tired and so exhausted from the spiritual battle I was in. And my board members came and prayed around me. And one of them prayed, Garrett, it's like you've been walking this journey and your sandals are worn out. You've been in this wilderness and the shoes of your feet are worn. If this is you, may God grant you strength to walk another day in the wilderness because your promised land is coming. Wait, wait, but fearing the Lord brings the strength to wait. If you're here and you're like, dude, how in the world do I wait another day? Are you kidding me? Fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Remember what he's done. He was faithful to them, he's faithful to them, he's faithful to them, he's faithful to me. Remember what he's done. That brings sustenance, take another step, another step. I think some of you might be here. You know, it's a very interesting thing. That generation was the generation that made the Ark of the Covenant. This generation followed the Ark of the Covenant through the wilderness. There's very little mention of the Ark in that generation. The question this generation asked, and some of you may be asking this this morning, is why am I here? Why am I here? What's my purpose in this? Like, is God going to do something in my life? I believe that for some of you, if you're here, If you're sitting on the sideline of the spiritual game at Indiana Wesleyan University, God is calling you for the first time to step in. He's calling you to say, take off the blindfold. Remember what God's done. If you don't have a history of faithfulness with God, that's fine. Remember what he's done for somebody else. Start in the word. Go there. Today's the beginning of the second half of the semester. It's the beginning of the next part of our year. 
And I believe that for some of us, what God is calling you to do is that the story of his faithfulness would stop just being in your head and it would flow in your veins. Do you realize we have brothers and sisters around the world who right now are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. They are dying rather than to forget the story. We need that kind of tenacity. If you're tired for the second half of the semester, remember, you fear the Lord by remembering. Remembering his works creates that energy in you. It's got to flow in your veins. It's got to stop just being here. When you press into the Lord's presence through the word, you're entering into his story for the people of God. You enter into his story by going to church. You enter into his story by sharing testimonies. Enter the story and remember. I can't even tell you the number of times I've shown up to preach at an event. I have not felt like it. I don't have strength. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I show up and I'm like, God, you did not help me in Florida to abandon me here. You did not help me in Oklahoma. You were not with me in Colorado. You did not help me in Michigan to abandon me here. Remember, today is a call to action and a call to battle for the second half of the semester. Let's not let the enemy take this. No, no, this is our second half. We're taking this and you take it by remembering. You take it by fearing the Lord. There's some of us here that are living in scarcity and God's calling us to feast. Some of you here that need strength to walk in the desert. God wants to grant that today. And for some of you that may not have any history of walking with the Lord, he wants to tell you to step in. Start today. I just believe that God wanted this time to be a time of saying, are we gonna sit on the sideline the second half of the semester or are we gonna enter in? Because whichever generation you find yourself in, the key is remembering. Remember his faithfulness. Would you stand with me? The question that our generation is asking is, does God still move like he used to move? We've heard the stories of past generations, but does he still do that now? That question is the summary of two other questions. One, is God still the same God? Has his character changed? Two, will he be the same God to me? You are granted faith to answer both questions with the word, yes, when you remember. So I'd love to pray for you in this moment that you would be given strength to take that next step. Let's pray together. God, you are the God of all generations. You haven't changed. You're still the same God. 
You're the same God that parted the Red Sea. You're the same God that parted the Jordan. You're the same God who's walked with us till this point in the semester. So God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would empower us to remember, to not forget. God, would you banish the spirit of forgetfulness from us? May we remember and fear you, God. God, for those in this room that are in a season of waiting, give them hope, give them encouragement, you see them. God, I pray you'd break the bondage of the Egypt generation that exists in this room, the bondage to pornography and sexual sin. Break that because you can. God, break the lie that says you can't. Break those of us in this room that are living in that complacency of the promised land generation. Call us out. God, we've heard of your fame and we know your works are great. Would you renew them in our day? And may this campus be known as a place where God is active and Jesus reigns. So in the name of Jesus, the second half of the semester is ours. We're ready, God. The battle begins now. And we thank you for the victory. May the God of all grace empower you to remember and fear him as we walk faithfully. In the name of Jesus, you're sent out.